contrary to Mormonism, it is perfectly okay to ask questions and to test your leaders. We'll talk about that next on Polygamy. What love is this? This is part two of the many questions that we have been asking regarding Mormonism, LDS, polygamous, the Book of Mormon, and other aspects of the modern Mormon faith. When Jesus was here, he chose 12 men who would be close associates with him for the three years that he walked among the people of Israel. But not only the 12, there were hundreds of others who followed him, listened to his teachings, and asked him questions. Jesus never once rebuked or humiliated anyone for asking honest questions. He always answered. Sometimes he gave direct answers, sometimes by parable. Other times he answered by asking them a question. And then did this, of course, to make them think. We have been asking questions about modern Mormonism, whether it's polygamy or the LDS church. These questions are valid and they're important and they should be searched out for correct answers, not using Mormon sources for the answers. And that's important. We got this idea from the website on the screen where there are 50 questions that has been asked uh, specifically to the LDS by Pastor Ed Taylor. And, of course, we've adapted the the questions, some of them. We haven't done them all by any means, and made adjustments to them so that we could include the polygamy groups. Our point is that everyone, no matter who you are or what you believe, everyone should test what you believe. What is the foundation of your belief? So to finish our questions, we begin with this one. According to both LDS and polygamists, marriage is essential to achieve exaltation. So why did Paul say that it is good for a man not to marry from 1 Corinthians 7.38? And 1 Corinthians 7.38 says, So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. Whoa, boy, that's, that's absolutely the opposite of Mormonism, isn't it? Another mistranslation by the Bible Joseph scholars. Smith translation did not change that. Oh, uh-uh. that's key, isn't it? Uh, it is key. It should be anyway. There's no biblical passage at all that being married is required no. to reach the highest place in glory after death. And it's not in the Book of Mormon. In fact, what did Jesus say about it? Yeah, Matthew 19, 10 through 12. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So there you have it, right from Jesus' own mouth. So uh, surely if being married was required and essential for the highest degree, Jesus would have said so, especially here when he's talking about that very thing. And if not here, at least some other significant places, Jesus is the Savior and he came to save sinners and he knows what we need to do to be saved. saved. (laughs) And and not once did he ever say marriage had anything to do with it. Hmm. And and that reminds us of the show we did several months ago about why do Mormons believe, say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe what he taught. (laughs) And this is just one example. That's right. Another good question that you should find the answer to is also about the, uh, (coughs) excuse me, the Mormon idea of marriage. And it's one that we've talked a lot about on this program. So next question. 
Yeah, this one hit me hard, of course. Why does the Mormon church teach that we can be married in heaven when Jesus said in Matthew 22:30 that in the resurrection men neither marry nor are they given in marriage? That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> and Joseph Smith's version is brought into evidence here. He did not change what the Bible teaches in that verse. Uh, and why not if marriage is practiced in heaven? Was yeah. he true prophet or not? Yeah, well, the <laughs> Joseph Smith translation, the inspired version says, Matthew twenty two twenty nine, <clears throat> For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And so there's no state of being married in the afterlife, in That's the next world. Said, Angels yeah. don't marry and don't have families. And Jesus said those who go to heaven are like the angels. They aren't married and don't have families. So why do polygamists and Mormons look forward to having their spouses and families in heaven just like they are here? It's mm. just a myth. Yeah. A myth. Jeffrey Holland said that heaven wouldn't be heaven without his wife. He's living in a theological fantasy world. Biblically, a man and his wife can both be in heaven, of course, but the relationships will not be the same as they are here. Our focus will be on Jesus, not on wives and husband and children and making worlds and all that kind of thing. Having babies forever. <laughs> the, ne the next question deals with the Mormon idea that God is a man and was once just a mere man like us. Yeah, the question is, if God was once just a man who progressed to becoming a god, how do you explain Psalms 90, verse 2, that says, Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. How can God be an exalted man when Numbers 23 and 19 says that God is not a man? And that's what it, the Numbers 23 and 19 say. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. And the Joseph Smith translation didn't change that verse either. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Why not? If God was once a man, why did Joseph Smith say he wasn't? <clears throat> Mal he didn't pick that up till later, I guess. <laughs> Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. First Samuel 15.29 says, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man. Mm that he should change his mind. And again, Joseph Smith didn't change those verses either. Or, <laughs> in fact, Malachi is a great warning if you read the context yeah. to us all because um, it, it, it's saying that if God did change, he would destroy the Israelites for their unfaithfulness and their idolatry. But God is merciful and he doesn't change and he waits patiently for people to turn to him and to find and believe the truth. The next question is another one that we have discussed in the past, and we urge you to check it out because all of Mormonism stands or falls on whether this is true or not. When does the LDS Church teach that man first existed as spirits in heaven? When 1 Corinthians 15, 46, that the physical body comes before the spiritual. So we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 46, how be it, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. And the Joseph Smith translation didn't change that statement either. <laughs> he said that the spiritual did not come first in that verse. Before the natural. But the Journal of Discourses contradicts both the Bible and Joseph Smith translation um, and tells us that the spiritual, and they did teach, they all teach and still do teach it, and the spiritual comes first. Right.
Yeah, well, it was part of the council in heaven. This is a big, yeah, it's a big deal. In fact, if you take that doctrine alone and apply it to almost every other Mormon doctrine, it falls um, because everything hangs on the preexistence and what yeah. went on there. And who Jesus is, who Satan is, who God is, who, what the gospel is, it all hangs on that. Heavenly mother and all that mm -hmm. stuff, yeah. So once again, there's confusion on what they teach, uh, what their own leaders have said and what the Bible says and what Joseph Smith's Bible says. Now, while I was growing up, I frequently heard that God is not the author of confusion. Oh, yeah. And that's a quote from the Bible. Yet their teachings are very confusing. Next question. Why does the LDS Church teach that Jesus and Lucifer are spirit brothers when both the first chapter of John and Colossians teach that Jesus is the creator of all things? Including Lucifer. Including Lucifer. So first in John 1, 3, we read, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's from Joseph Smith's version. That's his version. In right. John 1, 3, in King James, I guess. It says uh, the same thing. Through, all, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In Colossians 1, 16, For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And this is talking about Jesus. Yes. Okay. So, so how can they teach something <laughs> so opposite of, yeah. of, um, of what the Bible teaches and yeah. what their own book teaches? Yeah. Uh, and just Joseph Smith, in his translation, never made any changes to Colossians 1.16 either. So, do you believe God's testimony of creation or Mormon doctrine, which completely contradicts God's testimony? Hmm. And But the point is, um, God was there in Genesis 1-1, the first verse of the Bible. God spoke and our world and our universe came into existence just like that. God was there and we weren't. Therefore, the only witness to his creation is himself. So who will we believe? The one who was there and did it or someone who wasn't there and decided it didn't happen the way God said it happened? Why would you not believe the eyewitness? <laughs> believe God himself. Huh? Next question. Next question. Why do worthy Mormon males hold the Aaronic priesthood since Hebrews 7, 11 through 12 clearly teaches that it was changed and superseded by something better? Okay, now, they, they use Hebrews yeah. um, and a lot of the Old Testament for their priesthood doctrine. Yeah. So let's see what Hebrews says about it. Hebrews yeah. 7. 7, 11 through 12. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. Okay. That's very insightful, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, ignored by yes. the Mormon doctrine of, of, of the priesthood. Yeah. And Joseph Smith made no changes to those verses either, by the way. <laughs> and why not? Why didn't he make changes to, to bring in the proper doctrine? Uh, if the priesthood that he claimed was reissued to the him, why didn't he make the necessary changes in his inspired version of the Bible to correct what it says that there was no more priesthood? Hmm. And Joseph Smith did not have priesthood authority. According to his own writings, he didn't have priesthood authority. He wasn't eligible to hold the Mormon priesthood, we quote. Yeah, this is interesting from, uh, and we get this from MRM.org. 
Because of its necessary authority, this priesthood had to have been restored in order to properly organize the LDS Church. That means the restoration must have happened before April 6th of 1830, the Mormons of Church of Mormon Church's official date of organization. Significantly, no Mormons seem to have known about the priesthood in the earliest years of the church. It should have been one of the foremost topics of teaching. Instead, there's no mention of any priesthood found in the histories, diaries, or writings of church members until several years after it had already been established. An early convert, William McClellan, stated, I joined the church in 1831. For years, I never heard of John the Baptist ordaining Joseph and Oliver. I never, I heard not of James, Peter, and John doing so. Sometime later, he repeated that I never heard of it in the church for years. And that's also taken from that Insider's View mm -hmm. of Mormon Origins mm -hmm. by uh, another good Grant research. Palmer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So why not? <laughs> and and do you ever question these kinds of details or? Or do you even know to ask these questions? I guess That's, we don't know. Sometimes you just don't know what questions to ask. Blindly faithful. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, this is this is something that shouldn't be just shrugged off. No, it's um, important. And still be confident that you're following God's truth. Have you ever studied out what the Old Testament says about the priesthood? Uh, the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants and the priesthood of Melchizedek? Uh, have you ever checked out what the New Testament says about them? It's so important. Not what Mormonism teaches about priests and their activities, but what does the Bible teach? Because the Bible is where Joseph Smith got the idea for priesthood authority. Sure. So he took it from the Bible that he didn't trust, by the way, <laughs> to establish a religious practice much different than what the Bible teaches and then claims biblical authority for non-biblical practices. Mm. Isn't that kind of a twisted yeah. way? Yeah, a confusion, of, confusing. Of, of doctrine? The priesthood of Aaron has disappeared. Uh, it's been put aside for something better. Hebrews 8 calls it obsolete. That was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> It's, uh, and yeah. Joseph Smith revived it. The something better that has been put away for is Jesus Christ himself, the only high priest who alone holds a high priesthood like unto Melchizedek. Check it out. Again, your eternity depends on your accepting or rejecting biblical truths, and truth matters. And we would like to add here that there's a story in the Old Testament about some people who challenged Moses and Aaron's yeah. uh, priestly office. God had given a specific priesthood to only to Aaron and his sons and so that you can know how it affects God when people usurp the office of priest. Read Numbers chapter 19. God did not give priestly duties to any other part of the Israelite community, only to Aaron and his sons, but 250 men challenged Moses and Aaron about that. Moses told them God would choose who would serve him as high priest, and the next day they all met together and God chose. And he didn't change his mind, but he totally destroyed all of the men who tried to take the priestly office that God had set up for Aaron and his sons. Wow. Now, if he did that then to them, what will he do to others who usurp his priesthood? Mm. Do you really desire to be in a religion that rebels against God's choice of priest? And now there is no other high priesthood, no other high priest authority but Jesus. And you can check that out too. And of course, Hebrews is the best place to get that information. And, and use, using non-Mormon sources again is necessary for a thorough examination. 
<laughs> Next, Next question. question. <coughs> if polygamy was officially reinstated by the Mormon Church, how would your wife feel about you taking another woman? <coughs> Excuse me. And to the LDS female LDS members, the same question in reverse. How would you feel about your husband taking multiple wives if polygamy is reinstated? And for polygamy group members, when the LDS Church reinstates polygamy, you're not going to be God's exclusive kingdom anymore. What will you do then? <laughs> Good question. And these are all questions that, that are valid, and we ask you to, to ask those questions and find the answers. Do you follow the Book of Mormon and what it teaches about polygamy? Or do you follow the Doctrine and Covenants and what it teaches about polygamy? Or do you follow what modern-day polygamy groups teach and practice regarding polygamy? What will you do when your leader or bishop or state president or member of the 70s or someone else in high church authority comes and asks you for your 14-year-old daughter to be his polygamous wife? Wow. What will you do when he comes and asks you for your wife to become his plural wife? That's precisely what Joseph Smith did. Yes, 11 times at least. That's what right? Warren Jeffs did. did he? Oh, he did that too, huh? Yep. Next question. Next question. Why are Mormon temple and polygamous marriage ceremonies secret to the public when the Old Testament temple ceremonies, which did not include marriage, were open to public knowledge? That's a good question. It is a good question. Secret but sacred. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jesus is sacred and he didn't do anything secret. That's true. Yeah. Why are the polygamy groups so secretive when Jesus said nothing is secret? <laughs> Polygamists usually claim their secretive, secretive lives are because of fear of the law, that, uh, which is against God's higher law of polygamy. But that opens up another can of worms. Jesus knew they were plotting to kill him, yet he continued to teach nothing in secret. So the excuse that you might be arrested for your beliefs didn't fly with Jesus. He was arrested and killed for his. Polygamists claim that they do what they do to become more Christ-like, but that's not the result. Mm. They do not do as Jesus did or believe what he taught. Now, there are a few more questions that I have often wondered about. Some of these, some of these questions are not in the, uh, on the website. Oh, They're just 15. some that I'm asking. Um, and, that, and this would be for deep thinkers of people in the polygamy groups or LDS members if you're watching. The Book of Mormon, Jacob 2, verse 30, indicates that to raise righteous seed, God may allow polygamy. Is it impossible for monogamous couples to have righteous children? Hmm. I see what you mean. <laughs> Isn't that rather arrogant to think that only polygamists can produce righteousness? Hmm. There's nothing in the Book of Mormon that allows polygamy for any other reason than Jacob 2.30. More questions. Yeah, here's three of them. Why did most of the early Mormon polygamists have less children than the monogamous marriages? Why did Joseph Smith and others marry married women if polygamy was only to raise up righteous seed? They had children with their first husbands. They didn't need a plural husband. And why did Smith marry old women who were past the age of childbearing? Oh, what a good question that is. <laughs> who were past the age of childbearing, keeping Jacob 2.30 in mind. 
So Jacob 2.30 is not a door no, out of does, this. It doesn't apply to uh -oh. so many of the marriages, does right, it? Right, right. And, and a question again, we've asked this question before, we'll ask it again here because it's so relevant. Can a man with five wives have more children than five men each with one wife? <laughs> and the answer destroys the polygamy mandate, totally, yeah. in, in Jacob 2.30. Okay. I like mm. this one. Since God doesn't live in temples built by human hands, why do humans build buildings and temples and claim God abides within its walls? And they do. <laughs> they believe that God and Jesus walk the halls of the temple. Oh, mm. really? That's sad. <laughs> do they ever be, believe behind any evidence? No, I haven't heard of any evidence or no photos. <laughs> no <laughs> or photos. Anything. No photo, photo ops, but... Um, they, a lot of them believe that, that, that he's in the temple. And twice in the book of Acts, it tells us God does not dwell in buildings built yeah, by human hands. Uh, however, it does teach us that the authentic Christian um, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we bring the temple with us, don't don't we bring the temple with us? Yeah. We don't go to the temple. We bring the temple with us. Ye are the temple of God. Well, you are the temple. That's right. That's what it tells us in Corinthians. Another question, Genesis 17, 7, describes the everlasting covenant. Has section 132 superseded the everlasting covenant? Mm. Can it be everlasting if it has been superseded? <laughs> Can it be point? the everlasting covenant if there's more than one? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11 tells us that God's eternal purpose was carried out in Jesus Christ, not in Joseph, Joseph Smith. Smith. Next question. Okay. If children are not responsible for sins until the age of accountability, eight years old, why are they baptized at eight years old for the remission of sins when they aren't accountable for any, for any of them? And then uh, the second one is, since the word grace means a free gift that can't be earned, why does all of Mormonism, the church itself and all its various sects, offshoots and polygamy groups, teach and threaten strict obedience to all their commandments and that various good works are necessary to earn what God says is his gift, of, gift by grace, eternal life? Gift. Yeah, gift. A gift. Have you ever received a Christmas gift or a birthday gift with a bill inside that you have to I, pay? Or you ask, <laughs> how, how much do, do I owe you for <laughs> right. the gift? Yeah. Right, right. It's a gift. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, grace is given to sinners who all deserve God's judgment. We are all sinners. No one hasn't sinned. And this is such a good question that relates to the eight-year-olds, why, <laughs> why they get baptized at age eight. I was so thrilled to be baptized as an adult, finally. Yeah, uh, in the true church. Well, in, yeah, in, in the true in, to Jesus gospel, and to turn my heart to him and, and acknowledge that. As an eight-year-old, when I was baptized in the tabernacle, yeah. I... Uh, you don't get it. I didn't have, you just I didn't have any sins. Huh, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And yet they were all forgiven. All the sins you didn't true. have were forgiven. <laughs> right. Uh, the New Testament teaches us that grace is given to sinners, and we're all sinners, and we all deserve God's judgment. Yeah. And God knows it's impossible for us to save ourselves. And so because of his great love for us, he saves us by his grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. Grace is a free gift. Eternal life is a free gift to believers. Now, this gift of grace is not available to just anyone who attempts to earn it 
or who strives to become worthy of it. Mm -hmm. Mormonism, however, redefines God's grace to mean something totally different, something God gives after we earn it. A gift isn't a gift if it has to be earned. The New Testament is clear. Eternal life is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, why are you obeying so many rules and laws of men to earn something that cannot be earned? Yeah, from Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to, credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And Revelations 22, 17, Revelation mm -hmm. 22, 17 says, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The free gift of the water of life. Of course, that's mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. People ask, how can something as great and valuable as eternal life be free? It sounds simple, doesn't it? It, 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 yeah. it, is, it is simple. But the price was paid for us, a high price. Right. And it was paid by Jesus Christ. He paid for it on the cross. We accept and turn God's way and are saved. Or we can say, I'll do it myself, for myself, and be lost. Check it out. It's your eternity. We're not here to destroy your faith. We just want you to discover what we've discovered, the truth of God's word, the truth of God's grace, and the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, not through polygamy, not through Mormonism, not because of or with the help of Joseph Smith. <laughs> Revelation twenty-two seventeen: he who has an ear, let him hear. Mm. And that's the end really of our good. questions. Those are good questions. I wonder if he ever got any Mormon answers. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't any in indication on the website that, that I'm there was aware any of. Responses. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it would be interesting. We would welcome your responses. You know, you can email us, Doris at aboutpolygamy.com, and uh, give us your answers or your thoughts on all of this or whatever. You know, even suggestions for topics to cover on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, and. It's amazing. Yeah, when we all... you really sit back and think and look and evaluate what's being said, it's mm -hmm. it's pretty revealing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know when I when I first started doing my own personal Bible study, I became a Christian and and discovered grace. Yeah, and so I just I just dug into the Bible. I just hibernated in it, you know, <laughs> and was reading all these things. And I would think, what about this? What about this? All these things that I'd grown up learning about, and over and over again. That's not true. That's not true. They taught me a lie. That was a lie. That was everything was a lie that they another. taught me. Yeah. And and to learn the beauty of God's truth is overwhelming. It's an adventure I wish everyone could experience. Well, I think when you <clears throat> recognize the difference between what's man-made and driven by man's thinking, current man's thinking, and that mm. compared that to the foundation that we've talked about yeah. in the, from the yeah. Bible and Jesus it's it's just uh, it's beautiful. It is. It's yeah. wonderful, and it's like you say, it's simple. It's uh, it is a simple gospel that even a child <laughs> can understand it and obtain it. And it seems so godlike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, me. yeah. You know, I mean, what what would God do? He would he would have a. That's something what, that we can understand. If absolutely. We just, if we would just try. That any yeah. It. If we were just willing, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Earl. Thank you very much. Thank you. you know, it's often said that we all worship the same God. Different religions just have different names for God, but that doesn't matter. We're all just taking different roads to the same place. Well, here's the question. 
Is Jesus Christ the eternal God, your creator and your savior? If yes, then we have the same God. If not, then your God's not the same and it matters. Jesus was and is and has always been God. He revealed God to humans. He was sinless, kind, compassionate. He revealed and confronted hypocrisy of religious leaders. Being the perfect human, he died a sinner's death so that the sinner who trusts him completely won't suffer eternal death. It requires no works on our part because it's all grace on his part. That is who God is and is the only way we will be able to enter into his heaven. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.